Um, first of all, I want to say to Isaac Parsons, wow, and thank you. And it was just extraordinary and amazing. Uh, as has been happening now for a number of years, when we go from one sermon to the next, no matter who it is, and remember, I don't tell people what to say, and I usually ask them six, seven, eight weeks in advance. Sometimes it's shorter than that. Some people have had that happen to them. But usually it's quite a lengthy period of time. So uh, the, the expression is don't play to where the puck is, play to where the puck is going to be. We have no idea where the puck is going to be, right? And so how do you know what sermon is going to be the right sermon for that particular period of time? And yet, for years now, if you've been watching, you will see that no matter who it is that's preaching, it's the next message in a series. And this has been happening over and over and over again. It was very much what happened with you last week, and it's very much what's going to happen here today, because I'm literally coming right off of what you said and going right back into what God's been doing the whole first of the year here. So... So that's cool, but let me, say, let me put it this way. You're not going to see that unless you're looking for it, right? You're just not going to see the things that God's doing unless you're looking for it. Now think about the announcement that just happened right there. What Justine said in this announcement is, is we just go about our lives and we miss the things that God is doing, particularly if he's trying to bring us somebody to pray for for Easter. So I want you to think about a kind of Christianity which lives very differently than sort of, if I can, um, uh, processing it through our eyes and start processing life through what God is trying to bring you. Open your eyes to see what God is doing because if you don't open your eyes, you're not going to see it, right? And then you won't invite him. And then the thing that God wanted to do isn't going to happen. Now, he's sovereign and he can... But you catch the drift. The thing that he wanted to do through you isn't going to happen through you. Do you get it? So this is a very serious thing, and I want you to see something else. Because this has now been happening, I'm going to say for, I don't know, it's quite a long time for the words, but it's probably been three or four months now, that if you'll look at the whole service start to finish, from the beginning of worship until the end, you will see that God is using Every single part. Right here, through Justine, God said something that is totally on point to what we're doing today. Last week, Tamara gave a word, your daughter gave a word, it was phenomenal, but there was an announcement by Chris Maddox that we set up because we wanted to announce something. We didn't orchestrate something. We didn't know what Isaac was going to preach and then orchestrate an announcement that would be about community groups, about God being victorious, about the things that God is doing that would literally be the last point, the major point of his sermon. We didn't set that up. We didn't orchestrate it. I don't even talk to the worship leaders about what music they're going to do, and I don't do it on purpose. What I do is I say, you've got to work as hard to find what the Lord wants you to do as I am. Because when you find him then he can do something that I never thought of. We never thought of. He can do something and take us down the journey he wants us to go, down the road he wants us to go. Do you see that? But again, now, now watch the point of this. The point is, if you're not looking for it, you're not going to see it. And for the last few months, I'm telling you, everything that's been happening in the services, the words, of course, you would think that would be on point, right? The songs you would hope would be on point. But when he starts getting to where the announcements are on point, 
right? Doesn't that mean something? And here's the point. If I wasn't standing here talking to you about this right now, it would be going over all of our heads. We wouldn't be catching it. We wouldn't be processing it. We wouldn't be doing something, and this is the word that I think the Lord wants to speak right now in this part of the sermon. We wouldn't be expecting and so looking. And when you're not expecting and you're not looking, you don't see. And when you don't see, you don't get. And the problem is, somebody doesn't get saved, you actually end up totally missing what's happening? Remember where we are in Luke. We have finished now, after several years, we have finished his public ministry. There's still things that are going to happen, and there's still there's the Last Supper and so on that he's going to be talking to his disciples. But now the things that are happening are more events that the disciples are watching. But let's be clear about this. Those are orchestrated events by the Lord to teach the disciples what they need to learn. And they're being orchestrated at the very end of his life, which is to say they're the most important things that he meant to communicate. Everything that was before has built to the moments that the disciples are going to experience now. Because see, they're sitting here and they're thinking all kinds of things that are completely wrong, like maybe Jesus is going to be the, the commander that takes over and does the Roman army and all this kind of stuff. And in fact, in less than, in just hours from the t story that we're going to read today, he's going to die completely unexpected. Now, if they hadn't been watching, if they hadn't been expecting, looking for, seeing, growing in the things that God wanted them to do, when that happened, what do you think would have happened to them? They would fall, wouldn't they? Because they wouldn't be built up. He's not doing this just for, our, for giggles. He's, there's big things that are going to happen. People are going to die, him and them. This is no small thing that is taking place. And what he's doing in these moments in these last things that they're going through, in the last sort of moments, the sort of field work of their masters, they're done with all of the research and so on, and now they're actually in the field and they're experiencing some things. These are the final moments that are to prepare them for what's coming, and if they missed it, they not only would have lost it themselves, but they wouldn't have become what they did, because what they did do was take it to the entire world. Twelve people, essentially. Twelve people. And now there's billions. This is not small stuff. And remember one little problem with all of this for us. We're not just reading this as history. We're saying that the same thing that God did with the disciples, he's doing with us. And we've asked you to be looking for that. Watching for that, seeing that, getting that, growing in that, taking the steps, doing the things. Don't make this just a sermon. Make this a prophetic word, meaning spoken from lips as God intended. Prophetic, we always think of as meaning future telling, but it actually means forth telling, telling the things of God. And so what's happening is you get a prophetic word. I, literally, you can go to our website and say, what's Sunday morning about? 
It's about fellowshipping and coming together to worship him. And it's about getting a charge, having him send us out. The important part of a sermon isn't what's spoken in these walls, it's what's done with it out of these walls. This is what's supposed to be happening here. This is what God is doing here. And this is no joke, and here's why I'm sort of being a little intense about this. If we're patterning, if God is doing with us what he did with the disciples, what does that mean is going to happen? Some huge change. Now, we all know something about life, if you've lived at all. It's going to change. And it's going to change in big ways sometimes. And the one thing that I'm telling you right now is, is if God has been doing what he has been doing for all of these years and walking us down a road, we can say some. I don't say this to make anybody fear, because we don't have to fear, because we've been paying attention. We've been looking for, we've been expecting, we've been learning and growing and being built up so that we will be fully equipped in the moment that we need. The old, the old Corey Ten Boom story, right? How could you possibly have gone through? This was Holocaust and all that kind of stuff. How could you have possibly gone through what you did? And he said, my dad told me something. He said, look, when you're about to go on, when you're gonna go on a train ride, I don't give you the ticket weeks and months in advance because you're gonna lose it or rip it up or do something else. I give you the ticket when it's time. But here's what we're saying, you better be packed, right? You better be equipped, you better have grown, you better have become what God was intending you to become because if you don't, it's to your harm, your loss, and worse, the people that he wanted to reach through you. Right? So intense, right? But important. We're coming to a critical moment. Okay. All I'm asking for is one thing. We don't, we don't have to make a big deal about it. Here's all we have to do. Be expectant. Watch. Keep your eyes open. Look for what God's trying to bring you. Do life through his eyes. When you do that, he does everything that you need and infinitely more so that you not only survive it but you thrive in the middle of it so with that let me tell you the the question that comes out today for us and you will recognize this question to some degree because this is similar to what we have been doing literally since the beginning of the year how would you like to never wonder ever again whether or not God really got what was going on in your life? And whether he was responding in a kind, compassionate, right way. What does that mean? Has anybody ever been going through something and felt like maybe the Lord wasn't hearing you? Maybe he wasn't seeing you? Maybe he didn't really understand? How, and if he did understand, how could he be letting this happen? You see what I'm saying? This is your sermon. This is exactly what you were talking about, the stories that you told, wow. Because <laughs> I'll wait. Can we just unplug it? Why, this means just unplug the speaker. Thanks. Thanks, Roger. We're, I'm just gonna wait because I don't wanna do this. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm all right, by the way, you know, in song and dance. Maybe this will let the intensity go down. Thank you, guys. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I just didn't want to go back there and mess with it because that would have been just terrible. There would have been smoke and fire by the time I got done with it. Okay. Thank you. All right. So, so you get what we're, what we're going after. We're going after. Would you like to never, ever wonder again whether or not what God was doing, whether or not it was the really, truly, absolutely best thing? Would you like to know for certain at every moment through the rest of your life that it was? It turns out it's easy to do. You just have to open your eyes. So that's what we're going to do today. So with that in mind, who's our prayer? Oh, John. This is great. John Neteze. Neteze John, actually, but, you know, because we flipped the word order. Did you guys know that in Asia, most of Asia, last names are first because of communal? So your last name is your identification with your community, and then your individual identity is secondary. Did you know that? In America, of course, first name, because it's about us. And I have to say, God's on both sides of that equation massively. But having said that, because he's the one that made us individually, he, he looks at each one of us individually and cares for us deeply. It's not sacrificing yourself for the whole. It is, he cares about you personally. Anyway, with that, John, would you go ahead and pray for the sermon? Would you lift up another church too? God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you for everything which you are doing in our life, Lord. Thank you for grace and mercy, Lord, to bring us today here to worship you and hear your word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, as we are going for the sermon, we pray that you will open your heart, we open our mind, so we'll be able to hear exactly what you want to speak to us today. I pray for the pastor. I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide him. So whatever he's going to speak will transform us and will bring close, close to you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. Now, here's the passage that we're in. Again, he's just spoken his last discourse. That's what we did, the last sermons that I preached. And now here we are to this one. And this is right after this. Every day Jesus went to the temple to teach, and each evening he returned to spend the night on the Mount of the Olives, on the Mount of Olives. The crowds gathered at the temple early each morning to hear him. The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. The leading priests and teachers of the religious laws were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted, and they promised to give him money. So he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so that they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. Now, most people have noticed that there's paper in front of you and also pens. Ushers, thank you for being ready. If you don't have a pen or paper, I need you to pick up pen and paper right now, okay? And we're going we're gonna to be doing this four times. Now, there's a little extra paper there, but I want to tell you, think about it, four times. So save room. If you're using over a quarter of a page in the notes that you're going to be taking right now and the thoughts you're going to be writing down, then you're going to be doing too much. Now, here's what we're going to do, okay? I want you to look at, and by the way, we're going to be doing a lot of this, so if you're not the kind of person that likes to do whatever we all do, 
I just don't look at me, okay? Because it gets really uncomfortable, okay? So, but having said that, thank you. There's extra pens and paper. If you need them, just raise hands. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read that, and I want you to write down what sticks out. Don't just write down what sticks out. I want you to think about why it sticks out. What does it mean? Why is this said here? And remember, here's the dynamic. The disciples are going through an experience which is going to teach them something. What are they supposed to get out of this moment? Okay? The moment that we're reading right now in this passage. So like I say, I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes. Write it down, and then we're going to take microphones and go around. And you're going to give me some of your thoughts, and then we'll go from there. Okay? So just take a couple of moments. Thanks. If there's like some really soft background music. Yes. Yes. No. <laughs> no. I was thinking, you know, maybe a little rap. If we can find something that doesn't have any actual words to it, that'd be great, Kevin. I should have told you, my bad. It's all right. Okay, I get that there's a lot in there. There's a lot in the three and then the one that we're gonna be doing here today. But just right now, we've got two microphones going around. Who's our other microphone person? Ah, R. Kelly, okay. Do you like that name? Because that's a little problematic, don't you think? <laughs> he's the one, he did it, don't talk to him. 
Okay, go ahead. Give me some thoughts. What stands out to you and why? Tammy? Uh, can we get back there? Oh, sorry, Tammy. She's standing up. Yeah. We'll come to Okay. Hey, um, so mine was just that, uh, you know, it says every day Jesus went, and I'm wondering why did the leaders let him teach if they were plotting to kill him? Why did they let him in the temple? Yeah. Would you, you know, if you didn't yeah. want somebody to teach us stuff here, you wouldn't, you wouldn't let him on the stage. You wouldn't, wouldn't give a microphone. So every day he went and they taught. I'm not completely convinced of that, but your point is well taken. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, every day he went and he talked and, and they just kept letting him yeah. teach. And I, I was wondering, sure. is, it, is it a little bit of like keep your enemies, yeah. your friends closer, your enemies closer so they can keep yeah. an eye on him? So. Yeah. So, okay, go ahead. We want to keep them short just because I want to get at least their four or five maybe. Uh, I got out of it um, Jesus teaching every single morning. Jesus must have known uh, and Jesus must have had some flack and uh, known that he was looked down on by others, but he continued to teach Amen. Uh, every day. Jesus Amen. was looked down on by some, yet he still preached, teach, 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 teach. <clears throat> I have um, crowds gathered each and every morning. Uh, Jesus knew what they thought, but yet he still continued to preach because good. he knew that others would really be saved. It's great. Could you hand it to Carrie? And then we'll come over to Mike. We'll go to Carrie and then Mike. Um, so what I got out of it was that Jesus is teaching people so that they can hear, yet the teachers, the people who are in charge of teaching religious law are teaching each other and others to kill. It's great. It's perfect. Mike? Jesus was homeless. Huh. And everyone huh. was against him, but he did have power in the hearts of the people wow. because they were afraid. Wow, that's beautiful. I love that. Let's do a couple more. Let's do here and here, and then, we'll, and then we're going to move on. You'll get other chances coming up you're going to see. I'm not going to get back there, Roger. I'm just going to do these two because I've got to keep going. So go ahead. Um, everyone was going about their usual daily routines every day, every um yeah, every day, every morning, each evening. But something big was coming. There was something going on in the background, and something big was coming, even though they were just going about their daily business. Yeah, big thing happening they didn't know about. That's great. Let's go to Christine and we'll, we're gonna, I'm just. I'm going to go to the next one, thanks. And if you had your hands up, we'll try to remember to get you the next time. Go ahead. Jesus is faithful. He came to deliver the word, and the Amen. people were hungry, and they heard him. Amen. And no matter what comes against you, walk by faith and not by sight, Amen. because Jesus is with you, and he's for you. Amen. And okay. they plot, and they're, but yet they're scared. These are great. These are great. I know that there's many more, and I know if we kept going that somebody would, I'm going to point out something that really stood out to me in this one. And, and I just would... I think there's probably a lot of people that this stood out to, and that is Satan entered into Judas. That's kind of like a big point, right? <laughs> and, and let me make it clear what the big point about that is. How can I make sure that never happens to me? <laughs> right? Wouldn't that be good? <laughs> That'd be a really good thing. Well, that's actually what we're doing today. That's literally what we're going after today is, is foolproofing us, foolproofing, you know, pun intended, foolproofing us against deception. So I just want you to, to watch something here. Look at this. Uh, and many people mention this part of it. Every day Jesus went in the temple to teach. The crowds gathered at the temple early each morning to hear him. 
Okay, so here's the point. Jesus is doing everything openly. He knows that there's danger. He knows that he, the people are doing this. He's already said it several times. You're out to kill me. He's fully aware of what they're plotting, but nobody's going to touch him until he's done, right? And key, he's doing everything openly. Nobody has to hide, right? As opposed to the religious leaders. Wow, how terrible is this? The religious priests and the teachers of the religious law, the leading priests and teachers of the religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid because of the people's reaction. So they have to do this in secret. Looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. This is, this is that thing that we all know about, right? The things of God sun, uh, can stand the sunlight, pun intended. The things of God grow in the sunlight. The things of mold, when you pull back the rug and expose them, wither in the sunlight. So where do the things of deception come from? Hidden places. Think about Adam and Eve. What'd they do? What was the first thing they did? They hid. <laughs> right? They hid. This is what happens. So our first fool proving ourselves against deception is the things of God are done in the open for all to see, while things of deception and evil are done in secret and are hidden. That's just the way it is, right? So if we want to foolproof ourselves against deception, what should we be doing? Keep it in the open. Keep it out there. Talk to your friends. Are you in a threefold? You're having a struggle? Are you talking to your threefold about it? Because if you aren't, what the heck good is the threefold? I hope you're having fun talking about the movie or whatever it is you are talking about. Okay? The people in my threefold know what I struggle with. And they pray for me. Now, we don't bring it up every single time because that would just get horrible. But you get the drift? Get it out in the open. Get it in the sunlight. Get it to where Jesus can do something with it. Where he can bring his light to it. Right? Okay, that's number one. Now, the one thing that I want to say, though, is if we're looking at Judas and him falling, Satan entering him, and how that happened, there is a story that we got to look at. What is it? A Judas story. Anybody? Yeah, exactly. So here's where we're going. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, home of Lazarus. This is six days before he dies. This is before his triumphal entry, okay? The man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served Lazarus among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages that should have been sold and the money given to the poor, which sounds great. Until you hear, not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some from himself. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. Now, take your sheet, take your paper, and I'll give you a couple minutes. What do you get out of this one? And remember where we're going here. We're trying to foolproof yourself against deception. So it's not just notice anything about this, 
It's notice what, what would you learn from this about foolproofing yourself against deception here. Okay? I don't know what to do. If I walk around, that blocks people. If I sit right here and stay very still, can you see around me? Is it all right? Okay, I'll leave. I'll leave. Remember, the Bible is the only book where the author comes with every copy. So you can ask him. Now I know that I could give more time but once again, Mike's out. Go ahead. Chantel. Judah said the right thing in the open, and yet still he missed God and what he was actually doing. <laughs> That's perfect. Go ahead. So I said, Mary worshiped with ointment, and the odor filled the house. You know, when you worship the Lord and praise Him, wow. the ointment and your prayers, you know, it fills everything. So. Yeah. So, how do you foolproof yourself? There's a really good one. Let's go ahead and do Isaac, and then we'll come down. So, evil acts as good and accuses good of being evil. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, he made a good a good public argument, like it sounded good, um, but he uh, but it wasn't an honest one. So he made you know it's it was really a good. dishonest public statement, right? Really good. Another one of those hidden things in the heart, right? Yeah. Let's go ahead and let's go like this. Let's go boom, boom, boom. That, okay, right here. Okay, we got it. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, you go ahead and go back, Robert. So Satan announced his allegiance to money instead of God. Yep. Yeah. It's perfect. Go ahead. Come forward, Robert. I can't quite see everybody's faces, but don't mess with the thing. So if I, go ahead. Ah, oh, there, I see who it is now. You asked um, what we can learn from this to protect us. Yes. Um, I heard to check my motives. Um, and that when I'm acting out of a good heart like Mary did, that 
Jesus stood up for her to do this. He has our back. Beautiful. Beautiful. Scott? I'm just piggyback off that. I said, be honest with yourself on what you value. Yeah. Yeah, right? Be open. Be honest. Let's do, we'll do one more. Let's go ahead and do Rich, and then I'll, I'll pick up. Let's go ahead and do Rich, and then, okay. Okay, I had one sin begets another, because he used to pilfer from the box, which meant he didn't, he didn't come clean on that and get right, right with God. It's great. It didn't do that. And the other thing is Jesus is actually telling him what's going to happen, and in a sense, it's, he's giving him an inward cue that I know what you're doing. Huh. It's true. Okay, so we've got more, but I'm going to go ahead and hit a couple thoughts, right? So I'm going to focus in on this sentence right here about what Mary did first. And the first thing I want to do is expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. What's nard? Does anybody know? What's that? Spike nard. And, it's, and, and it's, you have to distill it quite a lot in order to start to get to this. Okay, go ahead. So, but the point is, but the point is, is whatever they did with this, it was obviously rare and precious. That's why it's expensive, right? And so the, the first thing is, is she's doing something that is expensive, but let's just, let's just note how lavish. 12 ounces. Is there anybody here that's ever put on 12 ounces of perfume? Chantel, that would kill you. <laughs> Is there anybody? 12 ounces. Wouldn't, what, what would 12 ounces do? It would fill the house with fragrance, wouldn't it? I love that imagery that somebody said about worship and filling the house. But it would fill the whole house, right? This isn't your little zone of smell, right? This is filling the whole house massively with this fragrance. So what does it take for somebody to do that? Because the extravagance of this, not just that it was super expensive, a year's wages, not just that it was super expensive, but that it was so much. What is that emotion? What's, what's driving a person to do this? What's that? Love. Absolutely. I have to tell you, I, I really believe that this is one of the most extraordinary moments in all of Scripture. It is so completely surpassing of what anybody would think to do. It is so motivated by love. And let's just be clear, the 12 ounces a year's wages of the perfume was not actually the most loving thing she did. What was that? Wiping his feet with her hair. We wear shoes. Your feet can still get gnarly in shoes and socks, right? But go walk around in dirt all day long in sandals and get dirt caked onto your thing. You'll wash their feet with a cloth, but with your own hair? This is, like I say, it's just a moment, isn't it? I, I be, is there any place in all of Scripture that love is demonstrated more extravagantly? 
surpassingly, magnificently, then this moment, go ahead. Yes, the cross is what she said. Yes. But you get it, right? Now, here's the extraordinary thing about this moment, the thing that we want to do. If we're going to foolproof ourselves against being deceived, there's another side of that. How do you make yourself always be in the right place? Because let's be clear what Mary did. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. Did she know that he was going to die? Now, she could have, but she didn't. So what was she doing? Love. And where did love lead? Mary got something totally right in God that she didn't have any idea about. <laughs> right? How does that happen? Love. Love. When you are loving him, you end up not only loving him, but you end up putting yourself right where he wants you to be. Doing exactly what he wants you to do, even though you don't have a clue. Does anybody want to be an evangelist, be used by the Holy Spirit to be an evangelist without ever having to know that you're being used as an evangelist? Anybody want to raise their hands on that one? Do you see it? He's going to put you right where he wants you to be, doing exactly what he wants you to do, when what you do is love him. Now, that is, of course, in huge contrast with Judas, who, as everybody said, bad motives, bad heart, hidden things, right? Why did Judas miss this entirely? He was oriented to himself, not Jesus, and so he missed the bigger thing. But a better way to say this is, which is to say he wasn't moved, motivated by love of Jesus. You see it? When what you do is because you love Jesus, you don't actually have to know anything. And you're going to be right where he wants you doing right what he wants to do, even though you don't have a clue about any of it. This walking with Jesus thing is actually super simple. It's just phenomenally difficult to actually do because of us, how we get in the way. But the thing that he's asking us to do couldn't possibly be more simple. He dies on the cross for you, and he says, love me. Really love me. Tough, really takes a, got to go to school a long time to learn that one. So our second thing is that when we are acting out of love for God, we get things right. But when we covet, we get things wrong. When we act out of any other motive, frankly. I can even say it this way. When we act in love for anything other than Jesus. That doesn't mean you can't love your wife. But it just means that when you put something on the throne in front of him, you're going to get it wrong. Period. What he says is, keep me first. What it is to be right with me, I'll take care of everything. 
And what we do is, is we keep a whole lot of other things up there with him because we know we need to take care of them because we're not totally sure that he's going to. Right? Okay. All right, so this opens us up to Satan. Right? When we move from love of Jesus to something else on the throne of our hearts, we open ourselves up to Satan. That's how you get open. So if you want to foolproof yourself, just love Jesus. Okay, even when you mess up, love Jesus. Just keep loving him. Keep loving him. Keep loving him. Keep loving him. I, this, this may sound bad, and it is, but it's also glorious. You can't imagine how many sermons have come out of my failures. But God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And the things and the places in which I fail are the places where I find his love, his mercy, his grace. So when I learned grace, as long as I was having to take care of it and he was taking care of some of it and I was taking care of some of it, I didn't know what grace was. It wasn't until I realized I can't take care of it. Doesn't ever give us an excuse to go ahead and sin, but you get my drift. Okay, so let's go one more place. This is one last one where we're gonna do our scripture, okay? So if we're looking at deception and we're looking at foolproofing ourselves against deception, there's one more place we should go. Any guesses? That'd be really good, but we can even go more fundamental than that. Where was the first deception? Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to him, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. By the way, why didn't she say no? But about the fruit, tree, fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die. Satan's not afraid to say no. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining women. So she took some of his fruit and ate it and gave it to Adam and he ate it too. Okay, so take it. Go ahead, work it. Remember, foolproofing yourself from deception. How could, what can you learn from this passage that will cause you to not get into deception and instead get into his presence?
Okay. Let's see some hands. What you got? What you got? Let's go right here. Let's start right here. And then we'll go to Justine. Uh, verse 3 says, uh, uh, Eve, Eve says, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. God didn't say that. God said, you must not eat of the tree. He yeah. never said that you can't touch it. Yeah. It's beautiful. I've always said, I think, I think the battle was lost at that moment. That's where Satan said, ah, it, you know, checkmates in five moves. Go ahead. It's the same thing. I was going to say the same thing, and oftentimes I like to exaggerate what God's told me I can't do to make myself feel better about wanting to do it. It's really good. Let's come over here. Doug and Courtney, you guys both had your hands up. Let's, let's do two at once, and then we'll come over to you, Larry. Okay? Thank you. So I was just thinking that many cults take a bit of the truth, but then they distort it in some way to fit their, their own agenda. So Satan said, you'll be like God. And isn't that a good thing to be like God? Yeah. And, and what I saw was that uh, uh, we change our focus from everything that God has given us, all the trees that are good, to the one tiny thing that he says that we shouldn't have for our betterment. And eventually our perspective changes from God's perspective to Satan's perspective. That's And awesome. that's really where where she ended up. That last that's, line is Satan's perspective, not God's. That is awesome, Doug. Go ahead, Larry. I guess my, mine was that deception contains a little bit of truth each time. So that yeah. when, when yeah. Satan is coming to you, you know, he's, he's telling you something that's true, but he's coloring it in some way. That's and, great. And the other thing is that, you know, we don't need to listen to things that are telling us to do something against what God actually said. I mean, and God told her not to eat of the fruit, and he's saying, well, you can eat of it. So obviously she's listening to something that's not, uh, that's good. not what God said. It's really good. Let's do one more. Sandy. It's just where I'm looking, right? Sorry. By the way, Sandy's the one that said, no, I want to know that I'm an evangelist, so go ahead. Um, I noticed the part that uh, said, let's see, where is it? Then the woman saw that the tree was good. It, she didn't even notice that tree and that the food was good on it when she That's was good. just walking with the Lord. It's good. It wasn't until that temptation that even made her look at it. It's good. It so, does make you see differently, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. All right. So, again, let me just pick something out of this for, for our purposes. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Now, let's just take that for a second. What was the issue here? What was it that she was struggling with? What was it that caught her? Where was the hook that Satan got in her that he snagged her and was able to reel her in? There was something she didn't know about. Let me change it around because we're going to get to it in a second. There was something that God was withholding from her. Doug, that goes right back to what you said. And somebody else said it earlier. You start to shift, was it, maybe it was Doug, but you start to shift from God's perspective to Satan's. See, he's withholding something from you. In fact, let's just look at this. We may eat the, tr the, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. 
why wasn't that what she was focused on? That was the thing that God said. Of all the trees in the garden, you may eat of all the fruit, and all of it's delicious and wonderful and everything else. That one tree, yeah, don't eat of that. But why is she focused on the one tree? See? She goes from, just as was said, she goes from looking at what God has done in abundance to looking at the one thing that she interprets as God holding back. Now, he's not, of course. I mean, let's be clear about God. God has made it from the very first word when he said, let there be light, or God created the heavens and the earth. From the very beginning, God didn't have to do that. And so the whole of God is creating and making and giving and wanting to give more but having this problem about what it does to us. And so he's got to be careful about not messing us up because that happens, right? That's what happened to Satan, the anointed cherub. And then what did he do? Well, now I'm like God, worship me. Which, of course, he was more like God. That's absolutely true, as it was said. There is truth in it. It's just not the truth, because there's only one creator. There's only one sustainer. There's only one who can pour out of all of the gifts that God wants to pour out. God's goal in creating you was not to get you to worship him. That wasn't his goal. It's, it's nice. It's the byproduct. If you do love him, you do worship him. But it's the symptom. It's not the truth. It's not the meat. It's not the substance, right? The substance is he wants to give you absolutely everything, including himself. How can I make sure that this never happens to me? Remember, that's how we, the question that we asked earlier. How can I make sure that I never have Satan enter into me? We open ourselves up to deception when we think God is keeping something from us. <laughs> I actually would rephrase this based on the answers that were given. I would rephrase this too. We open ourselves up to deception when we start seeing it from Satan's vantage point and not God's. I think that that covers a broader spectrum of what's being said here. But having said that, let's go back to our foolproofing ourselves against deception. We, when we, op we open ourselves up to deception when we think God is keeping something from us. Or when we lose our perspective and we start looking at what we don't have instead of all that we do. But let's just take that right there. Let's just take that thought. Okay? I want you to look at all of these thoughts. This is your last exercise right now. I want you to look at all of these thoughts and say, is there one concept, one thought, that we can come up with that keeps us in the right place? Is there one thing that we can do? Now, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to give you a little hint. It's not love. Because you're going to say, well, he's been talking about love this whole time and how important it is. And it is clearly important. But I would argue, and it's arguable, Okay, it's not necessarily right, but I would argue that there's something that has to come first before we'll actually extend our love rightly. What's that thing? Take some time.
is the one concept that keeps you right. Don't have to remember these three. If you get this one right, you'll get these ones right. Anybody got to go ahead, Carrie? That's really good. I'm going to argue it's slightly different than that, but I, we could definitely land on that one. Go ahead. That's really good, too, like the, like the faith one. I think there's something that's even more fundamental to it. Go ahead. Yes, yes, that's exactly right, but let me say something. How do you get open to God doing that transformation in you. How do you get there? What do you got to have in your head first? Go ahead. Oh, I love that. You got to have that. No question about it. A broken and contrite spirit. Okay, I'll repeat them, but go ahead. I love it. I still think there's something that goes before it. Go ahead. Yes. And in particular, what about him? What one thing, if you know this about God, you'll get all this right all the time. He's good. Do you see it? If you just always remember in all the time, in every way, at every moment, no matter what's happening to you, no matter how much it seems like he might not be getting it, if you will remind yourself every time a thought comes up about maybe God doesn't know what's going on or maybe he's not doing the right thing or anything like that, if you will remember that God is phenomenally, spectacularly, magnificently good, then what happens? You love him. You obey him. You trust him. You believe in him. Do you see it? I mean, really, we've just boiled the essence of how to foolproof yourself against deception down to one thing. You've got to know and believe in, in your heart, so maybe belief, but you've got to know in your heart at all times that God is good. And here's the, here's the funny thing, right? The old saying is you can't whitewash a fence. What's that mean? It means if a fence is bad, you can't put white paint on it and make it a good fence, Right? Thank God we're not a fence. I'm being totally serious here. In a lot of things of life, fake it till you make it. If you don't know that he's good, you hold on to that he's good. You remind yourself that he's good. You keep going after that he's good. You keep expecting him to be good. And that anything you're doing which is arguing in your mind that he's not good is who? And if you buy into it, you're starting to look at life about what you don't have rather than the magnificence of what you have. You're missing the perspective and you're going to get to where increasingly one thing will lead to another and you will end up in a deceived place. You will end up being the person that, you do remember what happened with Judas in the end. What happened? He hung himself. What did I do? Oh my gosh. As an analogy, bad analogy, but still an analogy. 
You know what people that survive suicide almost always say? The minute I stepped off the bridge, the minute I dropped, the, the minute I, the second I did it, I was like, I don't want to do this. They get so convinced. But when the moment comes, they're there. Let me give you a little better analogy. Lamaze. <laughs> if you practice, if you work at it, if you're always saying that God is good, if you're always saying that God is good, if you're always saying that God is good, if, if any time you have a thought that he's not good, you start looking for how he is, guess what's going to happen? You're going to find it. And then when, it really, when you really need it, it's going to be there. You're not going to have to find it. It's going to be the first thing you do. God is doing something good. Well, wait a minute, this could end up in me being die, dying, or this could end up in something horrible. God is doing something good. I want to tell you something right now. I've already, I know a little bit about what's coming next week. This was not planned. I did my sermon, and I called up Justine, who's preaching next week. I can't wait to have her back in the pulpit. But she's preaching next week, and, and you, you really need to listen, because this is part one and part two of this. Having said that, let me end with this. Like Mary, no matter what is going on, no matter how much you might have no idea of all that's going on, knowing that God is always and forever good will cause you to be precisely where he wants you to be, doing precisely what he wants you to do. Having said that, we do need to note that when you do the opposite, the opposite is true. You open yourself up. We want to think that these choices I make are mine that there isn't additional influence. But that's not true. There is somebody who is whispering to you little lies. And if you buy them, then you get twisted. And you open yourself up for those lies to come in and take root. Having said that, there's another voice that's whispering what we've been talking about. Do you realize that since the beginning of the year, almost every single sermon, if not every single sermon, has been about this? God is good. Why would that be? Does that sound like if you were at the end of trying to disciple people and you wanted to bring them home and get them home on the thing that was most important because it was going to make everything else work, it was going to make them trust, believe, act, no. How much better can you get than showing that God is good? So I don't want to dwell on the negative thing. I want to dwell on the positive thing, which is the Holy Spirit is inside of us, and he is speaking to us all the time. And as much as there's a voice from another place, it gets to sounding distorted. The more you hear the Holy Spirit, the more that sounds like a lie. The more it feels like yuck. The more tuned in you get to the Holy Spirit and what he's telling you, the more that you go after expectantly looking for what he's doing, the more you will be filled to overflowing with what he's doing. <laughs> Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then thank you again, Lord. Thank you, God. You are so good. You are amazingly good, surpassingly good, magnificently good. You are so good. 
Thank you, God. In Jesus' holy and precious name, pick up the cup.